I see some landlords or some, some newer landlords generally, they, they think they found a really good value. And they did find a really good value, but they don't go, they don't take it as far as they should. Um, they try to walk away with $20,000 in their pocket after they refinance. That's not the play you should be making. You're buying a house that old and you've got wooden windows in it. Replace the wooden windows. Yes, it doesn't get you anything more in your ARV, but gosh, it's going to solve a lot of problems. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show, the show that will help you escape the Wall Street casino and build wealth on Main Street by investing in real estate. Today, our guest is Mike Bonadis, and today we're talking about pre-1940s construction. Mike has a very extensive background in real estate. He does a lot of things, a lot of things in property management, property ownership, and turns out in pre-1940s construction. He's based in South Jersey, and that is the niche that he's carved out for his business in managing and, and buying homes and properties that were built before 1940s. And we're digging into some of the considerations that you need to have if you're looking at properties that are that old. We talk about why 1940? Like, why pick that date? Why not pre-1930s or pre-1950s? We dig into that. We ask that question. And also learn about a lot of the things that can be wrong and can be need to be fixed in a property that is that old. Really interesting stuff. Mike has a fascinating life prior to getting into real estate. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about his experience in the Arab Spring in the Middle East really interesting. We talked about that a little bit and a lot more. Really fascinating guy. He has a lot of energy, brings a lot of energy to this discussion, which I love and you're going to love. You're going to learn so much. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor and I help busy people passively invest in commercial real estate, specifically in apartment building and self-storage syndications. If you're interested in learning more and potentially investing with us on a future deal, just go to investwithtaylor.com, fill out the form and schedule a call with me. I will look forward to speaking with you then. If you're an Apple Podcast user and you enjoy the show, please take a moment and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. I'm always honest with you guys. I see your reviews. I read your reviews and I appreciate that so, so much. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please do share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. That's one of the best ways for you to grow is to help someone else grow, help teach them these lessons and share the areas where you're learning things. And we appreciate that so much. Once again, our guest today is Mike Bonadies. We're digging into pre-1940s construction, considerations that go into that, and also his experience as a C and D class property owner, owner and manager in South New Jersey. Without any further ado, here we go. Mike, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, sir. Really looking forward to you know, talking today. Hey, it's been a great conversation so far. I really appreciate your energy that you're bringing to the table for us. For our listeners out there who don't know about you, your background, how you invest in real estate and all of that, can you tell us about yourself, what you do and where you invest? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I describe myself just as a generic landlord, but uh, uh, I specialize in C&D assets. 
so I've got uh, about 45 doors myself. 50% of them are in that standard C&D assets, so affordable housing class. I also have shore rentals for the Jersey Shore. Um, I, uh, I co-own a property management company, which manages about 450 units as of today uh, in the South Jersey area. This is all in CND affordable housing in a rural area. So a very niche uh, market. Think uh, farmland, uh, think uh, uh, older houses, uh, and uh, think uh, 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 Section 8. So um, uh, that's what we specialize in. Uh, I also uh, uh, co-own a construction company, and we focus on pre-1940 multifamily construction. So our average house that we're working on is somewhere between uh, 1910 to 1920. Uh, It's uh, somewhere between a two to six unit. Sometimes we get into those 10 units, whatever it is. Um, But it's very much old-fashioned construction. Uh, stuff that uh, uh, someone's great great grandfather built. There was no code, uh, so uh, uh, you know we're putting it back together um, uh, I, uh, today. So uh, yeah, that that's kind of what I specialize in from a, a, a investing perspective. I know, and I'm also a farmer as well, so I own a sheep farm. Man, you're you're staying busy, and a lot of people out there might actually be surprised to hear that there is farmland in New Jersey. You just got to go a little bit further south to find the actual farmland. And really, before we dig into the real estate stuff, I got to learn this story about your hitchhiking through the Middle East during the Arab Spring. We're going to get back to real estate here real shortly, but I got to learn about this and our listeners, I think, need to know about this. Yeah, absolutely. The really quick story is uh, I was studying abroad in Turkey uh, during the Arab Spring and uh, uh, during one of the spring breaks, uh, me and my buddy from Australia, James, uh, we decided, hell, let's let's rent a car and we'll drive it out to the border of uh, of Iraq and we'll hitchhike across the border. And uh, it's, it's a really long, lengthy story, so I'm going to just make it super short. But we hitchhiked across the border. We actually got to meet the Grand Mufti of Kurdistan, which is like the highest religious official of of that of that place at the time. Um, we got to meet a bunch of people. We went to Arbil. Uh, we slept on the ground. I had AK-47s held in my face. Uh, we came back over across the border of Iraq. We decided immediately to go to Syria and be like, let's try the same thing in Syria. And uh, uh, we actually got detained. Uh, we got uh, interrogated. We made friends with the uh, interrogating officers and they let us back out. But uh, I'll never forget what they said when we originally came over because they said, uh, uh, why are you coming over? Um, you know, you're going to lose your head. Uh, but that turns out to be totally false. Like the people of Iraq and uh, uh, Syria were super nice, uh, very friendly. Um, I, I, at that time, I was conversationally fluent in Derijo, which is like uh, a, a derivative of Arabic um, that can get me somewhat around. Uh, but um, uh, yeah, it was it was super amazing. Uh, I wanted to see if the media reports were true, which they weren't. And everybody was very friendly. Uh, a great time. Wow. That is just wild. I imagine anything real estate related after that is uh, uh, maybe a walk in the park or not nearly as uh, potentially intimidating when you think about the the various factors involved. You're probably not going to get an AK-47 pointed at your head, especially in New Jersey when you're doing anything real estate related. I think that's kind of how I ended up in CMD asset housing. Like once you get the sawdust in your blood, it's hard to get out. Like I kind of want to be placed in those situations where there might be a little bit more, um, it might be a little bit more questionable, 
Um, so uh, uh, I've definitely ran into my fair share of problems as I've been in uh, uh, a landlord and in seeing the asset housing. But, uh, you know, I think it's trying to live up to some of those times I had in the Middle East. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. And I, I wanted to, you know, at least touch on that while we're here. And then, you know, we'll swing right back to real estate. So, you know, there's a few topics that we could dig into here. And it really one of the things that fascinates me is this idea of pre-1940s construction. Like, why why that date in particular? I mean, we all kind of probably understand that building standards and codes and all of that change over time, but you picked a specific date. Why? Yeah. So anybody who is familiar with construction code, 1940 um, or that time frame, because it kind of adjusts based on what state you're in, that's when they set the building code. Like building code didn't exist before that date. There was no standard construction practices before 1940. So when you walk into a house that is of an age of, it was made in 1910, 1920, uh, 1870, 1880. It was someone's great, great, great grandfather building this with his friends. And they were kind of going by um, uh, the fly of their pants, right? Like they were just going or the seat of their pants. They, They were just creating it as they went. They weren't following any construction code and there was no oversight from um, the state's perspective or from a township perspective. So very much uh, the buildings are, are not um, similar, usually, from one to another. Uh, you might run into areas like uh, very old towns where they did kind of like there was a, a, a contractor in town who constructed the same building over and over uh, in row homes. But if you're especially in rural areas, um, those houses were not built the same one. You could be right next to your neighbor and have a completely different house. So it's very it's very much a different type of problem solving uh, than you would have once you go past construction. Like once construction code is established uh, and you're working on those houses, it's very it's very different. Wow. So that is really something. I mean, I've certainly looked at my fair share of properties, especially recently that maybe have been built. They were built in the 80s, but they had so much, you know, Mr. Handyman work done to them. You might think there was no building code at the time they were built, but so, okay. 1940, give or take is when building codes were established. So when you're looking at, you know, a property that old, there's obviously a big question in your mind about what are you going to find behind the, I guess, lath and plaster when you pull it off? I mean, is that an insight that you build over time that you know what you're going to get into or how do you kind of build that level of comfort to know what am I getting into here? Yeah. You you build confidence over time and you pretty much go into houses uh, expecting for you to like, in our head, me and my partner drew side, we always are, are, okay, two out of three mechanicals are shot. We just got to figure out which of the two or three (laughs) is shot and uh, uh, and go from there. Um, You definitely learn to look, for certain things, there, there's like dead giveaways when you're going inside of housing. Um, uh, like for instance, it's you, you can have someone who, uh, and this is this is sadly common. Um, they change the panel, they change the electrical wires going from the panel into the wall or into the the into the walls, and then behind the walls, it's knob and tube again. Where there's like a second <laughs> panel box or second junction box that just goes into knob and tube, and you kind of know what to look for at those time, you know, at those uh, with those items. Um, so you build confidence, uh, over time. You also have to buy them at the right price. You can't, your margins need to be fat because there's so many problems that will come up. Like structural chimneys may be compromised. 
there's no way you're going to know if that structural chimney is compromised uh, uh, if you're buying it from like a wholesaler or or even with an inspector. I mean, the, the likelihood you might not even know that there's a structural chimney behind a closet. Like <laughs> it, it's um, uh, there's definitely like a lot of, uh, for lack of a better word, skeletons in, in behind the walls. We've literally found skeletons behind the walls oh, in some of our properties. Uh, we've torn out lath and been like, oh, that's that's legitimately, I mean, it wasn't human skeletons, but they were bird skeletons, like okay. all in the walls. And we're like, oh, cool, you know, just another day. Um, so you build confidence uh, over time. You definitely learn what to look for. You get very, uh, you get, you get, you, you, you learn for the isms uh, uh, on that area because uh, to, to look for whether it's you know knob tube is an easy one, but you could be looking at like Orangeburg pipe or or, or um, uh, you know certain lead pipes, etc. And just kind of learn over time. Oh, this is what this is. Um, an easy one, even though it's not from pre nineteen forty, but like Federal Pacific uh, panel boxes. Uh, you know they're highly uh, dangerous aluminum mm-hmm. wiring. Again, that was more from the eight. That's the eighties, but those are examples of things that like you kind of know what you're looking at after a certain point in time. And, and that's, that helps you make the judgment. And, and I can't emphasize enough. You've got to make sure you buy at the right price because and you, and you have contingency baked into your rehab because you know, something is going to go wrong. You just don't know what's going to go wrong. Mm, okay. Well, the tough part, you know, today, especially by buying at the right price is tough buying with a fat margin is is difficult right now. I mean, how have you managed to stay disciplined in that way for your acquisitions? I mean, you know the numbers, right? You know what, okay, somebody's willing to pay, I don't know, 40 grand more than you are because maybe they don't understand all the rehab that's required. But I don't know, is that what how, how you avoid the temptation of <laughs> overpaying is you just know what you're getting into? Yeah, I mean, there's, I'm going to have a pretty lame answer to this, but it's discipline, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, you, uh, I, we go into the ML, like we still buy stuff on the MLS, which I know people are like, whoa, you can't find a deal on the MLS. <laughs> I beg to differ. Um, but you just go in and you just offer the same price that you're willing to. Now I've made offers on buildings for six months straight until they finally cave and say, okay, we're going to sell it to you. Um, uh, because nobody else, you know, they, they, uh, people go in there and be like, oh, it's not a good deal. It's not a good deal. It's not a good deal. And you, you, you just keep offering the same price. And then, you know, uh, they eventually buy it. Now, again, this is a little bit of um, a regional thing, but there are uh, uh, there are people like there. You build up your reputation over time, and you become known for being able to deal with certain types of properties. So, when someone when you when you've built your reputation up, uh, people bring you stuff first. Um, and again, it's easy to, for me to talk from this position because I've built up that to that point yet. It's hard for you to break into that and be like that individual, but. Uh, in, in, when I started in real estate, I took on some ugly properties and hoping to learn to, to, to build that reputation as the person who could buy these types of properties <laughs> because there's less players, um, uh, into that, uh, uh, into the, in, in, in that game. And, uh, I, I built up the reputation. I learned my way. So I definitely took hits in the beginning. I remember, oh man, I, I made a sewer mistake one time. I had to redo a sewer line. I lost 11 grand, like Oof. right off the top. Cause I didn't realize there was a sewer mistake in the property. Um, and, and it is, it, it is what it is, but if you, uh, you know, if you buy enough of them and, and, uh, and you recoup your mistakes, you're going to make up and make money from those. And then that gives you more cushion life. Interesting. Okay. So that one sewer in particular, I feel like is a very commonly overlooked aspect of, you know, deals that I've seen, uh, others 
going wrong. Sewer is a a common thing that either wasn't uh, maybe scoped at acquisition or wasn't really understood. Like it wasn't known the quality of, of the sewer product. And then they have to redo it and ends up being tens of thousands of dollars many times. Yeah, I think um, uh, in older properties or multi, if you're planning on keeping it as a hold, you need to make sure the mechanicals are taken care of. People like to harp on the cosmetics because that gets you the ARV or gets you the high rents. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not the problem. Like that's not the long-term problem. That's not the thing that's going to cure your headaches in the long term. It's the mechanicals that matter. So sewer lines, electrical. It, uh, a lot of times, if you're buying older houses, boiler systems. Um, those can be monstrous to take care of. Um, so not the boiler itself. It's usually the, if you have a, a true water boiler or a steam boiler, like the piping um, that goes to different house, uh, goes to uh, 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 the, the different units inside the house. Making sure those are good um, uh, will solve your headaches in the long run. Like it's so easy to replace flooring. It's so easy to replace a kitchen. Um, but uh, if you got to tear out your all your boiler fins uh, or all your your baseboard boiler, yeah, that's going to be expensive. So, okay. That's a, that's a good point is, you know, I own a property that is older, had a boiler. And then prior to my acquisition, the choice was made to deactivate the boiler and go to mini splits and mini splits work pretty well, but the baseboards are still there and stuff. So they can be removed. But how often is that, or are you making that type of a decision to kind of just disuse the old equipment and switch to something newer, like a uh, mini splits, which are not the prettiest solution you still have to deal with condensate drainage and all of that, but they're, they work and they're reasonably efficient. So do you run into that is, or is that not a workable solution as far north as you are? So we look at it as like, uh, I, are the utilities already split and how old is the the underlying mechanical, um, the, the, the heart of the mechanics? Mm-hmm. Um, if the utilities are not split, we try to opt into it. Uh, we don't, mini splits are becoming more common here. We're trying to do that more often, but uh, our, our go-to solution is electri- um, uh, electric uh, hydronic baseboard. So um, uh, for heat, and then we still do window units uh, for AC. Um, so we might uh, uh, it, it, we might tear out the the boiler piping if the boiler is ancient and we, everything is going to go. We put in electronic, uh, electric, uh, hydronic baseboards. Um, if it's got one uh, four stair system that goes to everything, we might just put a, a, a electric baseboard in. That that's our go to solution because electric bills are very. Uh, easy for tenants to wrap their head around. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it's, it's, and g- splitting gas meters can be complicated, um, but splitting uh, electric is usually not so much, or it's already split. A lot of times electric's already split. So it's just one less thing to, 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 to split out. Now to give, to give an example of like when we choose not to um, uh, change out mechanical systems, if the boiler is like four years old, and uh, everything else is fine. But why? Why get rid of a, a thing that's already broken? Um, now, mm-hmm. if it's using uh, uh, oil, uh, we might switch it up. And oil, I know, is more common in New Jersey, PA, like New York, than it is pretty much anywhere else in the in, in, the, in the nation. But um, we try to avoid having oil contracts just because they're a pain in the butt, um, and it's really hard to manage. Like even for uh, someone who's seasoned in real estate, uh, uh, managing your oil bills. Um, isn't fun. Like you, you go from having nothing in the summer to having three hundred dollar bills like three <laughs> months in a row, and and you got to imagine. Okay, if it's tough for a, a property owner to manage, yeah, you got to think from a tenant's perspective. Like they they they're gonna have to fill up that oil tank, and if they can't fill up that oil tank, pipes start freezing. You know, problems occur. Big big problems. Yeah. 
in that energy efficiency and really comfort aspect, there's also the matter of windows. I mean, windows that they make now are great. They insulate really well. They're not really drafty, but I mean, you start talking 1910, they get a lot of drafts out of those windows. How do you guys think about that? Do you look to replace them, leave them original? Oh, yeah. You replace them. You mm-hmm. replace the windows. That's that. It, it, you, you, if you're buying a house like that, like uh, if I, if I see some landlords or some, some new, newer landlords generally, they they think they found a really good value, and they did find a really good value, but they don't go, they don't take it as far as they should. Um, they try to walk away with twenty thousand dollars in their pocket after they refinance. <laughs> That's not the play you should be making. If you're buying a house that old and you've got wooden windows in it. Replace the wooden windows. Mm-hmm. Yes, it doesn't get you anything more in your ARV, but gosh, it's going to solve a lot of problems later. So take that twenty thousand dollars, reinvest it back into the property. Um, you're just buying headaches later. You're, you're that, and you got twenty thousand dollars now for problems later. Absolutely. I mean, it's it, it's such a big comfort thing to have decent windows. Energy efficiency is going to save you on your bills and all of that. I mean, decent windows, uh, in my experience, make a huge difference. Now, I also want to dig into just the idea of C and, and D uh, class of housing. And I kind of even don't like using those terms because they're kind of, they feel kind of pejorative, but, you know, I've invested in C class housing and, you know, there were some, there were some bumps throughout COVID and in some ways when it came to the eviction moratorium and all of that. I mean, how have you guys dealt with it? We're hopefully kind of on the back end of it, but we're also talking New Jersey. So yeah, so let me clarify what scene because I, I I definitely look at it from a property manager perspective. I know mm-hmm. once you get into syndication and like you might get these larger deals, C C assets have a very defined, like it has to deal with the age of the construction of the building and all that kind of stuff. Uh for me, um C D B A that it's more of about a tenant demographic, uh, and uh, uh, inside the uh, inside the uh, 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 that, that you're renting to. So D uh, uh, assets are about crime is being committed in approximation to the rental property. It's not actively being committed on the property usually. So it's not like a trap house or like a, a drug set on the house, but it's probably a couple, you know, a couple houses down. There could be those issues there. Mm-hmm. Uh, D class uh, and C class both have affordable housing vouchers too, uh, most of the time. So we are talking about section eight, home choice, whatever it may be. Um, C is more of the workforce housing, blue collar, uh, you know, uh, 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 nine to five workers uh, that need good, good housing. So that that's how we kind of de- define C and D asset uh, uh, housing. Everybody needs a house, right? Like that, you know, you, everybody needs to be provi- provided to it, but there's a reality of you know, is crime being committed on the block? It might not even be another rental. It could be somebody who owns that property three blocks down. They're just committing, you know, they're just allowing crime to, to occur there. Or police enforcement might not be uh, strong in that neighborhood due to, you know, budget restrictions, whatever it may be. Um, how do we, you know, how do we do, deal with that? Um, a, we treat everybody with respect. Uh, I think that's super important. Like, I don't care who, what tenant I am meeting. I call, you know, you know, uh, Mr. Johnson, Mrs. Johnson, you know, I, I, I treat them with the utmost respect uh, uh, when I when I meet them. Um, and so does every, all the staff does uh, uh, that we have. And um, uh, but I, I treating, you know, treating people more than just a, a, a um, uh, that they are a, a money machine to you. Right. Like they're mm-hmm. actual humans. They need housing. I think that's the most important thing. Um, the second thing is 
you need to have, and I, I hate to sound like the books out there, but you, you need to have like a machine built. You need to have a system built um, for dealing with different problems. Uh, and having, I would say in CND asset uh, housing, 80% of it is similar, but 20% of it is some weird one-off problem that you will never see repeated again. And you need to have staff that is trained in problem solving uh, those one-off issues. Um, so that that's that's what I say is, is important from the management perspective. Now, you were touching on in the last coming, so there, it, we're coming through the back half of COVID um, and you're, or I'd say the end of COVID uh, at, at this point, and, the, and we're based in New Jersey, which was probably the worst state to be a landlord in during COVID. Um, evictions were turned off for about two years. Uh, we're just having evictions turn back on over the last two months. Um, so very brutal. And they passed some legislation that pretty much told landlords to go after themselves as the tenants <laughs> could just get rent, rent, rent forgiven um, and no payment back to the landlord. So how did we navigate that? Uh, I'm actually, it's one of those things that I'm fairly proud of from our team because we did an excellent job of providing rent relief or getting the rent relief resources to our tenants, ASAP, as soon as it was coming in, and B, providing job uh, information to our tenants as soon as it came in. Now, jobs are not the issue as of this recording, um, but jobs were the issue during the front half of COVID. Mm -hmm. So we worked with uh, local uh, uh, local employers that were finding places or needed that needed workers. We would have them send us a special code that our tenants could place in and that would get their application on the top of the stack if they applied. Now you may say like, this is, this is, it's not the landlord's responsibility to go find jobs for their tenants. And that's true, but it is in my prerogative to go make sure that my tenants are working so that the rent bill can get paid. You're right. It's not my responsibility, but I'm going to help them out as much as I can. Now I'm not going to go and fill out the application for them and provide it for them, but I want to try to give them the fishing line so that they can, you know, fish for themselves, uh, feed themselves. Uh, uh, because what, what's the alternative? They, they, they start, they, they start slipping away. They start owing money. I'm going to have to evict them. That, that's just going to cost money out of my owners or, or my pocket. That makes no sense. I'd rather them. And, and for the most part, these people are, were, are, are great people. Like there was very, I would say there was very few people that tried to take advantage of the system. Now, if they did take advantage of the system, they really were able to take advantage of it. Mm -hmm. But, um, uh, I, I, not, you know, people that were losing their jobs in the beginning, they wanted to still work. Um, and then the other element is, is providing the rental assistance. Like we got every possible resource. We were getting a hold of the rental uh, assistance caseworkers and feeding them tenants and be like, look, guys, apply here. Here's the website. Uh, here's the person you want to reach out to. And we would have contacts with the rental assistance people and we would try to escalate their assistance as best we can, um, which is a an ability that we have, because when you're in CMD assets, you, a lot of times you have volume, you don't have very few, you have a lot. So when you have volume, it's easier to work, work with those, but that that's how we dealt with it. Now, was it perfect? No. Um, uh, are, are there people still trying to take care, advantage of the system? Absolutely. But that we were able to prevent a lot of evictions, have a lot of assistance or a lot of our tenants get rental assistance and we were we were able to avoid a lot of of um, uh, non-payment and evictions uh, by just doing those two those two tasks. 
Awesome. Wow. So a lot of creative solutions to the the problem that was presented and the problem that was frankly in in many ways created that you know you had to had to deal with. Love it. Right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. The first step to growing your wealth is tracking your wealth, income, spending and everything else about your finances. You can start tracking your wealth for free and Get six free months of wealth advisory with personal capital by going to escapingwallstreet.com and using our link. Create your free account today and automate the way you track your money. Personal capital is my preferred way to track my finances, and now we're making that available for listeners. Terms and conditions apply. See the personal capital website for details. Once again, to get the offer, go to escapingwallstreet.com and use our link. Back to the show. All right, Mike, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? Absolutely. Great. First one, what is the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Um, the best investment you can possibly make, and I possibly made, is spending time with my employees uh, when I onboard them. Like I will go out of my way to spend hours with them during the week to teach them not just what their job is, but to contextualize their role in the company or contextualize their role in the industry. Because when they understand the context, where, uh, where they've been contextualized or, or they understand the contextualization, where they fit into the process, it makes them, uh, it, it allows them to uh, operate smoother because they understand what their inputs and their outputs and how it affects everybody else. So spending time with it, my employees, whether it costs me, Extra hours out of my day or less free time has been worth it 10 times over. Nice. We had the best investment. Now we go to the other side of that coin, the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? This one's definitely tough. Um, it, this might be a sound like an odd, uh, an odd answer, but um, over-education can kind of cripple you. Mm. Uh, so what I mean by that is you can read every book in the world on real estate investing until you start doing it. Uh, it, it, it really, it, that, that's going to change things up. So there's been times where I've read stuff and I've, I've, I've delayed my investment because I was like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta continue researching this, uh, until I know it better. And it kind of cost me an opportunity cost. Um, so, uh, I, I definitely made that mistake. Uh, and I've, I've not pulled the trigger on investments. And I think it's costing me an, an opportunity, um, an opportunity cost. Well, opportunity cost and, and, you know, delaying or lack of execution is definitely a big issue amongst many real estate investors. And I've dealt with that myself in my real estate investing career as well. My favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? I would say the building a team and building uh, a culture uh, for your team uh, because you're gonna you're you're going to build a team if you're going to grow big in real estate investing and you'll probably have people work for you directly. Building a culture is is paramount. Like uh, 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 getting everybody on the uh, that that wants to get to the same position, getting them on that bus, and and it doesn't matter where that bus is going if, if they all are enjoying their time on that bus ride, you're going to do well. Everybody else is going to do well and everybody's going to love it. And because if they love going to work, then it's it's not work any longer. I mean, that sounds so cliche, but it's so true. It's so true. 
building the right culture uh, is, is, uh, and I learned that uh, from my days when I worked in my, my corporate positions before, um, uh, before branching off on my own. Um, I saw there's a big difference between companies that had a really uh, uh, a company culture that encouraged one another to work with each other. And everybody kind of had the same goal in mind versus the ones that were a little bit more fragmented. And I just saw the ones that had everybody that had, having the same goal in mind uh, move so much faster and swifter and more efficiently. Nice. Nice. I like that. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining us today, sharing us, sharing all these lessons with us. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more, anything like that, where can they track you down? Yeah. I mean, I make my email available for everybody, which is uh, mbonides at tdpm.info. I'm sure it'll be in the show notes, um, uh, but just email me and uh, I, I'll try to get back to you. Um, uh, I do have a TikTok if you want to learn about farming uh, 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 at South Jersey Swamper. Um, so uh, <laughs> you can see TikToks of my sheep and me putting growing trees and and I talk about landlording stuff too. Awesome. Well, thank you once again for joining us today. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Five stars if you don't mind, you guys. I appreciate that so, so much. That helps other people learn about the show because that helps us rank higher in the Apple Podcast ecosystem. And I'm always honest with you guys. That gives me a nice little warm and fuzzy feeling because I get to see that you're engaging with the content and you're escaping the Wall Street casino along with us. Don't forget to subscribe no matter what podcast app you use. Catch us here every Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday. Right now, I hope you have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.